HealthWise. This is Thomas Corrier. And this is Sarah Corrier. And we'd like to welcome you to the HealthWise Report, Episode 35. Yeah, welcome to the show. Let me start off by telling everyone how this show is going to be a little different. This show is going to be something of a history lesson. Yep. That, that's all you had to add was, <laughs> yep. Well, Sarah, don't just cut me off and, <laughs> and run over what I'm saying. Let, let me get a word in, too. I'll try. Okay. I'm going to more or less let Sarah take this and run with it, and, you know, if I have something to add, I will. All right. Well, let me start out by saying that in our modern society, we have things a little backward. When it comes to drugs, people generally see drugs in two categories. You have the good drugs, which are pharmaceuticals, and the bad drug, which are illegal drugs. And that's so warped. And I'm hoping that we can kind of explain why mm -hmm. by providing the yeah, history. This whole bipolar thing with the good drugs versus the bad illegal drugs, it's part of a smoke and mirrors routine. It's a scam. You won't be able to really appreciate and understand that until you hear the history behind it all, how it's built up, how it became the way it has been, and the way it's been planned out. Because everything that's transpired, including the illegal drugs and the drug war, was really part of a bigger agenda. Mm -hmm. That's something you've heard a lot. You've heard a lot of conspiracy theories. You've heard about, you know, how the drug war is a war on the Bill of Rights, and there is actually some truth to that last part. It is a war on the Bill of Rights. And, again, that ties into the long history, the long agenda that we're not supposed to know about. You know, there's a reason why our educational establishment is, well, in the shape it's in, because we're not supposed to learn anything from history. If we learn a few things from history, then the establishment, it yeah. loses power. We won't, we won't be doomed to repeat those same mistakes. Yeah. Which is exactly what they want, because mm -hmm. it keeps them in the power. Yeah. Well, it really goes back to the 15th century in China, where Chinese doctors used to use opium for medicine, alongside many using it recreationally, too. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, opium is all natural. It grows. It's a plant. Yeah, it's a poppy. Yeah, and I think there's a sap that they extract from it, which mm -hmm. is the narcotic component, an all-natural organic narcotic compound that, when used properly, you know, in that natural state, has really no harmful effects, no addiction, no problems. Mm -hmm. 
That <laughs> that sort of ties into it, doesn't it, Sarah? In a very big way. Now, back then, it was used regularly as an antidepressant, as a sedative, and, mm. well, most notably as a pain reliever. And if the general population could use opium the way it was used back then, we could solve a lot of our routine run-of-the-mill problems and avoid a lot of the problems that we get into with the pharmaceuticals out there. Yeah, and that's one of the things with pain. When people come to us and, for instance, say they have a an actual physical injury that got themselves hurt, well, one thing that they can't do is treat pain alternatively. And that's mm-hmm. not because there aren't any plants that treat pain. Mm-hmm. It's because every single plant is illegal for mm-hmm. regular people to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. It's the same story with marijuana, and I'm sure a lot of our readers are thinking marijuana, cannabis, hemp, when we bring this up. Of course, that's part of the bigger story here that we're going to be telling. Cannabis, hemp, marijuana, it's very mild. It's a mild painkiller. Opium is, is a strong painkiller. We've written about it before that pain is one of the tools the establishment uses to keep us compliant. You see, no matter what we learn, what we do in alternative medicine, sooner or later, something bad is going to happen and it's going to hurt really badly. It's going to hurt like hell. You have nowhere to go. So by controlling the pain medications, it's more significant than might initially seem to anyone who's inspecting the situation. Pain is at the core of all major problems, all diseases. You experience pain. All major injuries, there is pain. And by controlling the painkillers, by not allowing the general population any access to any natural painkillers whatsoever, like opium, Mm -hmm. It means that there is no escape. You're locked in. Mm-hmm. No matter what. Go ahead, sir. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Oh, no, you're fine. Okay, so we're in the 15th century, and opium was being used regularly, recreationally, with no problems. Amongst the Chinese. Amongst the Chinese. Now, opium addictions began in the 18th century. Why is was, that? That was right when the British began to monopolize the sale of opium. It was when the British, with their chemical industry, came in and began selling these chemically altered opiums. It was the it was the beginning of the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. It's when they were taking these natural substances, running them through a chemical factory, altering them and enhancing them. Yeah. Now if you read about opium now, if you were just to say go get a modern textbook, you'd read that opium was addictive. As if you could just cut it out of the plant and it was addictive. Yeah. But these addictions didn't begin until three centuries after the Chinese had been using it regularly. It was only addictive after the British intervened, started using their chemical factories to alter, to concentrate it more, mm-hmm. and make it synthetic, and essentially, it became very addictive. Yeah. Now, as a result of what the British did, opium eventually became illegal under Chinese law. Mm-hmm. They saw it was a big problem. Mm-hmm. And in 1839, the emperor of China at the time told his minister to deal with the opium problem. So the minister requested help from Queen Victoria of England. He was ignored. So the emperor confiscated 20,000 barrels of opium and detained some foreign traders. Like you might imagine, most of those traders were British. Mm-hmm. The Chinese believed that they could fight the British with no problem because their textiles were better. And that was believed to be a sign that everything Chinese was better. And they were wrong. The British were better at munitions, quite simply. And what happened was the British retaliated to the interference with their drug trade by attacking the port city of Canton. Yeah. So, in other words, with the new British pharmaceutical industry that had developed, become very profitable in China, the British were willing to go to war to stop the Chinese from cutting off their their drug industry. And this was, in fact, 
the beginning of the first opium war. Which is also the first drug war, but、mm-hmm. it's a little different from the modern drug war. It was a drug war meant to force the Chinese into accepting addictive opium. Yeah, it was launched by the biggest, richest drug cartel ever known throughout history, and that was the British Empire.、Mm-hmm. People don't think of it like that, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very few people even know about this war.、Mm-hmm. It's not taught, interestingly enough. Now, when the Chinese were defeated, they didn't have a choice but to sign a treaty, the Treaty of Nanjing, and it was in 1842. They were required, according to this treaty, to allow the trade of opium, to make large payments to the British, to open five new ports to this foreign drug trade, and they were also forced to give Hong Kong to Britain. And this was all against Chinese law, against the wills of the emperor, the will of the emperor, that is, and. This was because the British went to war, and as a punishment for losing that war, the Chinese had to open up even more markets to the pharmaceuticals、mm-hmm. against their will, and give up Hong Kong as a punishment. Yes, that was to punish the Chinese, and that's how it all got started with Hong Kong. It was a punishment for the drug war, for the Chinese not no towing to the Brits. Nowadays, you kind of think of Hong Kong as the bastion of freedom, surrounded by you know Chinese communism. Mm-hmm. It's kind of ironic as to how that all started. But it was a drug war prize. Yes. <laughs> Because the Chinese didn't want to be addicted, and they had the audacity to try to fight back. Yeah. Now, opium was still technically an illegal substance in China, but yet the Chinese were forced to accept British imports. So, in other words, instead of breaking the addiction, the Chinese were forced to open their ports and encourage it. Yes. Now, in 1856, only a little over ten years later. The Second Opium War began and ended in that same year. The Chinese were once again defeated. This time, they were forced to sign another treaty, and this time the sale of opium was legalized. The British claimed that the Chinese people had a right to this luxury—a luxury that enslaved them. Enslaved them, yeah. That the Chinese, that most of the Chinese did not want, the government did not want.、Mm-hmm. But the British was going to put, were going to push it on anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and take Hong Kong while they're at it. Now, this was the Second Opium War. Just after opium、mm. imports increased to unprecedented levels, and by the end of the nineteenth century, an estimated one quarter of the male population of China was in- addicted to this enhanced opium. As it enhanced, well,、opium. it's it's like the thing with pain is control again, Sarah. It's like if the Brits move in, take over, force force this down their throats to some degree, maybe literally in some cases. <laughs> what happens is, is you destroy your Your domestic opium market with all natural organic opium,、mm-hmm. and then what happens? Somebody gets hurt. What do they have to turn to? Yeah. Only addictive opium at that point. That that's what's prescribed because that's all they have. Yeah. This is like the first instance of addiction being used as a means of control. Social control, yes. But nowadays, that's well, big business. Now, in the United States. Many of the early Americans cultivated their own opium.、Uh, Thomas Jefferson cultivated opium at his own garden.、Mm-hmm. Opium- It's kind of a travesty that's illegal now, isn't it? People are spending like decades in prison for using an unnatural substance that doesn't hurt them, just like the founding fathers did. I know. I mean, when you think about that, is that not incredible? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's incredible is is usually when they're caught, they're highly addicted to it because the only type available now to them. Is the highly addictive pharmaceutical style opium, heroin, morphine, what have you? Yep. 
People in previous times didn't have these issues of addiction. Mm-hmm. And now modern historians who have this whole politically correct belief that all drugs that are banned are bad don't even report this. Like the fact that the Founding Fathers, for instance, grew their own opium, it's never reported. The, the Founding Fathers would be ashamed of us. They yeah. would be deeply ashamed at what we've allowed this country to turn into. Yeah. That we've turned natural substances into horrible drugs, made them the only type that were available, and then when people get hooked on them the way they're designed to be addictive, then we throw them away for decades in prison. It's really sick. It's a travesty in, in every regard. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, drug addiction shouldn't be something that a person is sent to prison for. It's a medical problem anyway. Yeah. It's a health problem. You know, an addiction shouldn't land you in prison. Being addicted to something should not be a criminal offense. Yeah. It'll it's be- like being sick, Sarah. Mm-hmm. You get an illness. Should you go to prison for getting an illness? Should you go to prison for being an alcoholic? Or getting addicted to smoking? Or caffeine? Well, some of these substances, you know, like the tobacco and the caffeine and other things, really are addictive. Um, there are some things in our natural state that do have some addiction, mm-hmm. but not like the synthetic opium, morphine, and heroin. No. Uh-huh. They're designed to be addictive. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, morphine was first isolated from opium in 1805. So that means morph- morphine is actually made from opium. Yes. Of course, at the chemical plant, that's where it's made. Now, when opium products are taken in, especially in high doses, orally, they cause some digestive discomfort. Mm-hmm. So when the hypodermic needle was invented, morphine was then used through a hypodermic needle by the elite classes who had more money. They could afford more, and they didn't have to worry about their stomach getting upset. Exactly. The first people who shot up, as they say. Again, this is early 1800s. Now, the pharmaceutical companies promoted morphine not just as being non-addictive, but also said that it would cure the opium addictions that that same industry had actually earlier caused. Okay. Now, let's get this straight, Sarah, between us and everyone out there. They made opium addictive. Mm-hmm. They distilled it in their chemical plants, made it stronger, more concentrated, so that it became addictive, shoved it down the throats of the Chinese, literally, mm-hmm. built up a huge industry, started addictions here with it as well, eventually, the turn of the 1800s. Yep. At that point, that wasn't enough. They weren't, they weren't making enough money yet. So what they did was they found a way to chemically modify the concentrated pharmaceutical opium into a brand new substance, which was even stronger and more addictive, called morphine. Then they started dishing that out and promising everyone that it would cure their addiction problems, right? That's right. Okay, just want to make sure we're on the same page here. Yeah, they're on the same page. It's like the more things change, the more they stay the same, isn't it, Sarah? (laughs) Yes. Now, next, Dr. John Witherspoon, who would later become president of the American Medical Association, told the allopaths to search for a cure for opium addictions and a morphine alternative. Hopefully something that would also get rid of morphine addictions Mm -hmm. at this point. Which were booming, right? Which were booming. In 1898, Bayer launched the best-selling drug brand of all time. Oh, surely you don't mean heroin, do you? I do. Tell us about heroin, Sarah. And heroin was supposed to cure opium addictions, cure morphine addictions, and be non-addictive itself. Well, you know, Sarah, there is nothing that can cure drug addictions like heroin. I mean, you take some heroin and you just won't need anything, will you? Nope. Again, the opium wasn't addictive enough. 
So they made morphine out of opium, mm-hmm. promised everybody that would cure their addictions. Then when everyone got addicted to that, and they decided, hey, we're still not making enough money. What are we going to do? So they modified morphine, concentrated it even more, chemically altered it, and came up with heroin over at Bayer. And voila, the biggest best-selling drug of all time throughout all of pharmaceutical history. And it was promoted as the addiction-curing drug, heroin, that is. And we all know how non-addictive heroin is, don't we? We do. We okay. Do. Um, again, the more they, they change, the more... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Some of our listeners out there, maybe at this point, start making a few connections, even though we're not, we haven't finished yet. Mm-hmm. The whole, we've been had, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. By the way, heroin was not only non-addictive, but it was safe and effective. And doctor prescribed, just like morphine was. Yeah, yeah. Safe and effective. Some of you out there may be thinking, okay, this is an isolated thing. They're grandstanding about heroin and morphine. No, 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 we're not. I promise you. When it really starts to become clear is when you do a little bit of research, and you see it applies to every illegal drug. Mm-hmm. Cocaine. Cocaine was doctor-prescribed. In fact, uh, it was the first antidepressant prescribed by Dr. Sigmund Freud. And for, like, I think decades, yeah. it was prescribed, not only for psychiatric ailments, but for a variety. And some pharmacies in the U.S. still carry it. Marijuana. You know, it's that dangerous plant. No, no, it's actually in the old pharmacopoeias, essentially physicians' desk reference guides. We have copies of those where it was proven to be safe and effective. It was in all the pharmacies, and it was doctor-prescribed throughout the entire United States. Yeah, it's one of the most used substances in medicine. It's one of the most tested, most used. Never had a single like adverse effect ever reported on it. But they couldn't patent it. They lost control. That means no money. So suddenly it's an evil drug that's dangerous, and it has to be eradicated. That's what it boils down to. In fact, if I remember correctly, there's all kinds of trickery involved in making it illegal. They couldn't get anything passed mm-hmm. through, like, the Senate. Yes. The, the senators would take it. So they came up with some sort of administrative licensing thing. Well, was uh, the first way they banned it. Well, there was also the fact that originally everyone knew that hemp was, was safe, and hemp was at the time used as a synonymous name with what we now call marijuana or cannabis. Mm-hmm. Now everyone knew that it was safe and it was well used for making robes in the military, it was used as a medicine and so forth. Cloth, paper, yeah. one of the best substances around. It was everywhere. So what they did was they renamed it marijuana. And then the legislation passed much more easily because nobody knew what was being demonized was this hemp cannabis product. They thought it was something completely different that was being described. Mm -hmm. Yeah, using the term marijuana, which is some Mexican slang word for it, Yeah, which it doesn't even fit. Again, we talked about how opium was used by the Founding Fathers. Well, uh, so was that horrible, monstrous marijuana stuff. Ben Franklin brought it from China. Hemp was so incredible, so important to the Chinese, that it was illegal to export it. You could get the death penalty for smuggling out hemp. They considered it that much of a national treasure. 
because hemp made the strongest rope in the world. In fact, I think hemp rope is still the strongest rope in the world. The only thing stronger is steel cable. For a variety of industrial usage, naval vessels, etc., hemp was essentially priceless in those days. Ben Franklin smuggled it out. He actually took hemp seeds and sewed them into his jacket so he could smuggle them out without risking the death penalty. In the early days of the United States, it was seen as such a national treasure that I'm not sure if it was nationwide or in certain regions, but I know there were laws in place requiring every American citizen to grow some on his property. Yeah. It was considered vital as a national treasure. And our Constitution, tell me this is not incredible for irony. Our Constitution is written on hemp paper. It's on hemp paper. And that's why we still have it. If our Constitution had been written on modern paper, this junk they sell us in the retailers now, it wouldn't have lasted 40 years. It would have fell apart. It would have turned yellow and then turned to dust. But it's written on hemp paper. So it's like everlasting. I mean, it'll be around like the pyramids, our Constitution will, Mm -hmm. because of that. And people have to get used to the idea that Ben Franklin was a drug smuggler. Yeah. (laughs) Don't forget Thomas Jefferson. Yes. They were all in it together, weren't they? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they were the original boys in the hood, weren't they? They were. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care to you. I'm going to leave it. Uh-huh. For you listeners out there, we have an interesting challenge for you. Find some illegal, horrible, narcotic substance that people are going to prison for for decades that wasn't once safe and effective until the establishment couldn't monopolize it anymore. We challenge you to find one. It is the same with every single one. Mm-hmm. And every single one of them was prescribed by doctors until it was realized they had lost control. Yeah. That the general population could self-medicate at will. So the reason why the drugs are illegal, it's not to protect us from these horrible drugs. It's to protect them. It's to protect the industry. To make sure that we're not a threat to their profits. And that's why they keep hurting us with these dangerous pharmaceuticals because that's their patented chemicals. The unnatural synthetic chemicals they can patent, they can monopolize, and synthetic harmful chemicals are always, always foreign in the human body. So either they're attacked by the human body or they attack the human body because that's the only way they can work because there's an immediate war as soon as they go into the human body. It's the case for every drug. It's thought of that these new addictions, you know, for instance, with the painkillers and so forth that people are dying of overdoses of now, it's thought that that's some new thing, mm-hmm. that pharmaceuticals becoming illegal drugs is new. By the way, it was, like, almost impossible to kill yourself with opium, all-natural, mm-hmm. organic opium, Yeah. before being altered. It, it's, like, unheard of. Yeah. But now you've got this whole industry of painkillers and antidepressants and even anticonvulsants that people are all addicted to and are being sold so-called on the streets, as they say. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a new thing. This is exactly what happened to all of the others. This is what started happening to the Chinese, (laughs) you know, centuries ago. Yeah. And they tried to stop it and weren't allowed to. Sarah, as as a Brit, I know this this can't be a point of pride for you, but it really is back all on the Brits. They did this to us. Yeah. And, you know, for 
a brief period in history, the Americans had it free. We could grow our own medicine, we could grow our own food, without having to answer to anyone. And now, look at us. I guess the Brits are always causing you problems. We should be ashamed for letting it happen here again. We really should be. I guess when you start allowing corporations to write the legislation, a sort of a socialistic, fascist-type system, then this is what you get. Fascism is the merger of state and corporate power, as yes. Mussolini stated. So now you know the history and some of how we got to where we are now. It's a very disturbing history. I recommend that some of you listen to it, this audio several times, in fact, because there are key dates and facts that you might want to remember. Yeah. Uh, because you're not going to find this in the regular history books. You're going to have to dig. You're not supposed to find this in the regular history books. It's supposed to be gone, yeah. It's supposed to be gone. Now, Sarah has jumped more or less to the present. Tell us about how it's even worse for some people, Sarah. Who it's really worse for is those in our prisons. Because these new drugs that I was talking about, that people are now addicted to, like the antidepressants, well, inmates in actual prisons are forced to take mind-altering drugs. And all of these new mind-altering drugs, like SSRIs... Mm -hmm. It's like you're in prison. Not only do you lose your basic freedoms, but now you lose your basic human rights. Yes. You're forced medicated in some cases mm -hmm. against your will. Yeah, inmates are actually forced to take these. And not only are they forced to take them whilst they're in the prison, but now parole boards are forcing people who are released from prison to take these drugs. Now think of the irony that someone has been put into prison, say, for an addiction to something like, I don't know, heroin. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then upon getting out, he's required to take another drug which is either, well, is probably as addictive as heroin. And more likely to cause violence. Yeah. As a condition for parole. It's like you just have to stop and think about that. It's insane. They're required to have regular visits to psychiatric doctors, and anybody who's been listening to us for a while knows what that means, because all they do now is prescribe drugs. They don't provide therapy. And the drugs that they're prescribing are getting worse and worse. Or, as some people would say, school shooting after school shooting. How true. Kind of like the case of our friend Kurt Danish. Mm -hmm. He was prescribed, uh, what was it, Prozac? Prozac, yeah. Kurt didn't know it, but he happened to be one of those few individuals with a dysfunctional liver that does not produce a certain enzyme. I can't remember what it's called. It's some medical name, but mm -hmm. there's a particular enzyme his liver didn't produce. Well, this enzyme is used by the human body to flush out certain toxic materials and certain foreign materials, like SSRI medications, for instance. So over a period of about a week, every day he took it, he amplified the SSRIs in his body because none of it was being flushed out. Day two, he had double the amount. Day three, he had triple the amount. Day four, he had quadruple and etc. By day seven, he was off the hook. Yeah. For no apparent reason, he just grabbed one of his friend's guns, drove to his dad's house, and blew his head off. After it was over, he didn't even remember it. Yeah. He said it was like a dream like a nightmare he was living out. And in a sense, that's what it is, because these drugs produce sort of a dreamlike, emotionally numb state. Yeah. 
Certain emotions are numbed, others are exaggerated. Yeah, it kind of blurs the line between the dream state and reality like a, mm-hmm. like a schizophrenic state. So, yeah, so he was living out some kind of a nightmare when he blew his dad's head off. And, of course, he didn't remember it well afterwards because well, it sort of passed like a dream. Yeah. They tested him, and sure enough, he didn't have that liver enzyme. But it's not just those people. These SSRI drugs do cause violence. And they call suicides. And that's what's really ironic about the whole thing. It's ironic that these SSRI medications are given to depressed patients when they're known to cause suicides. To me, that indicates there's a problem somewhere. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah. I'd say so. But not only does it cause self-harm, but it causes you to want to harm other people. To me, that sounds like the absolute antithesis of what you'd want a psychiatric medication to do. But that happens. And the prison is full of these people. Of course, you have a lot of people in prison for illegal drugs. But you also have a lot of people in prison for taking legal drugs. Legal drugs that made them do things that they didn't want to do. And so many of them have no idea that it was this drug that they were taking mm-hmm. that caused them to act this way. I mean, they had no defense or anything like that because, well, it was doctor prescribed. So everyone just kind of assumes that it's safe. And mm-hmm. Take the most dangerous drug of the illegals, I mm-hmm. think, is PCB. Of course, at one point, that was doctor-prescribed, too. That, that's not really mentioned in the history too much, either, for some reason. But that was doctor-prescribed, too. Well, eventually, after enough people got killed, then suddenly it was a dangerous drug. They couldn't control it anymore anyway, so what the heck, let's make it illegal and demonize it. Well, that hasn't happened to these SSRI drugs yet, because they don't have an alternative yet that they've been able to market successfully. When they find that alternative that they're successfully able to market well enough. Then that'll be it. That'll be, be it. They'll suddenly, suddenly these drugs are so dangerous. Why wasn't this being reported before? Yep. We know why it's not being reported. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason they, they did it again and again and again through history. Yeah, I mean, and you hear about these illegal drugs and just how bad they are, but you can look at the, the label for an SSRI mm-hmm. and you'll see things like hysteria and suicidality mm-hmm. and aggressive behavior, hostility. Mm-hmm. And even one had homicidality yeah. until that got taken yeah, over it, by It's Pfizer. not being reported. I mean, it's just not being reported. Like, if you go back, every school shooting in the U.S. has involved these drugs, these psychiatric drugs. Combinations of them are single SSRIs in every case. And how many of you listening know that? I'm betting, like, practically nobody. And that's because it's not being reported. It's the same pattern through this drug war, or, or should we say drug wars throughout the centuries mm-hmm. that have happened again and again. And there's no such thing as an independent investigative journalist anymore. I'm going to tell you, they're whores. That's why they're not going to report this, because they're prostitutes. They report what they're told to report, and they do it with a smile on their face. Not to mention that they're getting sponsored by the very companies that actually create these drugs. But the pharmaceutical companies are the biggest sponsors. Mm-hmm. If you go check, the pharmaceutical companies on these news shows pay more than all the other companies. The car companies, the real estate, the soft drinks, the fast food, the airlines, all together. The, the pharmaceutical companies pay more than all the others combined. Yep. They're also the biggest lobbyists in the United States. They pay more than all the other lobbyists combined. They're on the gravy train mm-hmm. because we're the slaves, and we don't learn from history. You think about these poor people on the streets, these poor drug addicts who can't break free. Don't feel sorry for them. Look around at your neighbors. <laughs> Look at them. Look at them at the pharmacy with their copay card yeah. saying, please, can I get this for a little less? We're just barely making ends meet. And the pharmacist's like, 
let me see what I can work out for you. And he goes back in the back with his text and they're like, let's call the insurance company and see what we can do. And they're going to work them out on a payment system. And yeah, that's who you need to feel sorry for. You know, your heroin guy, he's got, he's probably got it better. Mm-hmm. We mentioned this in our dealing with doctors. Okay. Yeah, that was a video that we've produced. It's on YouTube. You can go watch it. How your doctor is like your dealer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And actually your doctor is less, has less scruples than your dealer. We talked about how your average heroin user, he's got it good. Your, your average heroin addict, he's only scraping out, forking out maybe 30 grand a year for his heroin. He's got it so good. Okay. <laughs> now your chemo patient, Bare minimum, hundred, hundred and fifty thousand a year. Sometimes for more than one year. Sometimes it's for a lifetime or until the person dies. And quite frankly, your strung out heroin guy, he's got a better chance of long term survival. And this isn't by accident. This isn't because well, we just haven't progressed with the science yet. No This this is the science. This is the science and it's playing out exactly as they want it to. There's a reason why every cancer treatment, every last cancer treatment causes more cancer. This sounds ridiculous, but just think back. Think back to your basic science back in 7th or 8th grade, whenever it was, when you were learning basic science facts. Remember reading about radiation and Madame Curie? Remember learning that all types of radiation from all sources are cancer-causing? Remember that? Well, what, what, what's the most common way to treat cancer, Sarah? <laughs> radiation. Radiation. Mm-hmm. It's been that way for, what, 50 years now? Yeah, they don't want you to kind of think back to that whole radiation causes cancer. Thing. Yeah, yeah. They, they say they're embracing science, but if, if we were to embrace science, they'd be in real trouble. Yeah. If we were to actually pay attention, they would be in real trouble. When you think about the horrible drug dealers who are killing people or, or parasite to society, well, the really bad ones, they're wearing white jackets. Mm-hmm. And they make a heck of a lot more than a regular drug dealer does. Yes, they do. <laughs> they carry beepers and pagers just like the other type. That's where the lines sort of cross, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and we talk about you know how high recidivism rates are, which is the rate at which people go back to prison. You know, they come out and they go back in. And you'll hear politicians talking about how we don't know why this is. Maybe we're just not funneling enough money into the prison system yet. You're forced drugging them when they get out on drugs that cause them to be violent. Exactly. And you're doing it to people who can't get jobs, but have to buy the drugs. So what do they do? They have a choice. They have to come up with some money without a job to pay for the drugs that the court is forcing them to get so they don't go back to prison. Well, there really is only one option there. Yeah. They're essentially required by law to steal. Mm -hmm. And often these same parole boards have ridiculous requirements like you're not allowed to own a cell phone or you're not allowed to go inside an establishment that sells alcohol. What establishment doesn't sell alcohol? Mm-hmm. I mean, your local Walmart yeah, sells yeah, alcohol. I mean, so it's like you're not allowed to have an intoxicant because who knows, that might be dangerous. So instead, we're going to force you on a narcotic. Yeah. That's experimental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not give you the ability to get a job because you're not going to be allowed to have a phone or a pager. And um, you better come up with a lot of money every month to buy those drugs. Yeah. Who benefits? So you can see there, there are a lot of connections here between the, the prison system, the criminal justice system, the media, the pharmaceutical industry. They're all in it together, and they're all whores, every last one of them. If you had a guy on a parole board 
saying to the parole board the things we're saying to you? How long would he hold his seat? Yeah. Or a journalist out there at a major media pub, you know, at a major media company, how long would he last saying these things? We all know the answer to that. Yeah. They don't even get in those positions. <laughs> no, they don't. They're weeded out way before. Yeah. I'm sure nowadays at a lot of the media companies, they're required to take an emotional intelligence test. <laughs> We're given an opportunity for hire, don't you think? Oh, I'm sure. We don't want them to have too much of a conscience. Yeah, for those who don't know, haven't listened to that show and aren't experienced, emotional intelligence is the new in thing in psychiatry. It's, it's institutionalized sociopathology. It's learning that letting go of your conscience is a good thing because you'll be more successful. And therefore, you're healthier. You know, because if you're more successful, obviously you must be healthier. Yeah. <laughs> now, just as an example of how screwed up this whole mindset is, I remember, I think I was with you, Thomas, when we, was, we were watching a documentary about hospice and these people come to your home. I love hospice. I, I know they're, wonder, they're like angels, aren't they, Sarah? Yeah. And these people come to your home as you're dying of cancer treatments and give you a supply of drugs. Mm-hmm. And that's what the movie was about. Yeah, I know, it was a depressing documentary. But anyway, the whole this whole one case was about how bad a particular woman, a cancer patient, was because she was addicted to her pain medication. Whose fault is that? And that's really what people should be saying. It's like, whose fault is that? How did she get addicted to a pain medication? They <laughs> may, I mean, they... Oh my gosh, they re-engineer it to make it as addictive as possible, sell as much of it as they can to make as much money as possible, and then when somebody suffers to try to get off of that, mm-hmm. it's the patient's fault. We, we hear this again and again, you know, this whole passing the blame. Yeah. And uh, that, that doesn't that always happen in mainstream medicine? All the time. When they screw up really bad, mm-hmm. it's the patient's fault. And if they can't find some way to pin it on the patient, it's genetic. It's the mm-hmm. genes. It's God's fault. That, that's who we'll blame. We can't blame the patient now. We've, no. In this case, so it, it's God. He did it. Why is he such a screw-up, Sarah? Yeah, uh, the doctors mm-hmm. don't tell their patients, this is addictive. No, there's no word about that. Now, if you were to go to, say, a, a drug dealer on your street corner, then you know going to him that cocaine and so forth, they're all addictive. Mm-hmm. You go to your doctor, there's some assumption that he's not going to be giving you an addictive drug. Mm-hmm. So people take these painkillers for oh, whatever injury well, with no second thought. Well, sometimes they tell the patients they're not addictive, Sarah. They, mm-hmm. they flat out lie. Yep. And these new drugs that come out, see, each time a new drug comes out, they claim that this drug isn't addictive. Yeah, they still give Valium out. Mm-hmm. They're still giving out Valium yeah. as if it's non-addictive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like the thing with pain. How many sleepless nights are you going to go through until you give up? How much sleep deprivation? Until yeah. you say, okay, you win. Give it to me. Please. And I'll pay whatever you demand. Yeah. And this particular uh, documentary, they were denying access to this dying woman, to this pain medication, because uh, as a cancer patient who'd been through chemotherapy and radiation, she said she was in pain, but it couldn't possibly be because she was using too much of that painkiller and she must be addictive and therefore a criminal. A criminal? And that's this warped mindset that so many people are in now. Well, it's like the thing with the drug war we were talking about. Suddenly, uh, they're not getting what they want anymore. Then 
you're the one with the problem. You're the criminal. Yeah. Probably what happened was insurance ran out. Yeah. They stopped covering her. So suddenly they were looking for excuses to cut her off. Yeah. As is so often the case. Mm-hmm. They can probably make a five-gallon bucket of that stuff for, what, like $2? Yep. Okay, and then sell it for $100 a drop. And in some bizarre irony, they're probably being made in China now. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right. You're sadly right, <laughs> that, Sarah. Yeah. It probably is. Maybe the Chinese will get the last laugh. It seems like they are getting the last laugh, doesn't it? Please check us out and read our reports at the HealthWise Report website. You can find us on the internet at healthwise.org. Take special note that WISE is spelt W-Y-Z-E. We spell it W-Y-Z-E to emphasize wisdom. We are a not-for-profit organization, although we are not registered with any governmental agency. Nevertheless, we are a not-for-profit organization, so we always need donors to help us to continue our work whether it be the equipment for these radio shows, our website and network infrastructure, various fees for our movie productions, and of course, the occasional video game to help us maintain our sanity through it all. You can also support us by visiting our online store. That can also be found at healthwise.org. And again, WISE is spelt W-Y-Z-E. We have to be careful about what claims we make about our products, including claims that can be verified because we know of at least one governmental agency that would love to shut us down. We can tell you that our colloidal copper lotion has qualities that cannot be found in any other lotion sold. So if you have joint or skin problems of any kind, we recommend that you check out our lotion. You can also find our book, Defy Your Doctor and Be Healed, which contains our best work, condensed and re-edited into a nearly 600-page encyclopedia. It is the do-it-yourself guide to health, and it makes a fantastic gift. We also sell the HealthWise Antiperspirant, which is truly aluminum and petroleum-free. We would not use anything else ourselves, because the competing products are atrocious, including the supposedly natural products. Thanks for listening to this. We'll get back to the show now. Well, we've got a little bit of extra time left on this show, so we're going to share with you maybe one, maybe a few more, depending on the time, some of the requests that we get every day and how we respond to them. Essentially like a question and answers. Thomas is going to read the first question as if he were the guy asking. All right, Sarah. Here we go. Um, I guess in my best acting voice, huh? <laughs> Hello. About two months ago, I had a single episode of gross hematuria, red-brown urine. There were no symptoms, and it never happened again. I saw a urologist who wanted me to have a CT scan with contrast and cystoscopy. I was concerned about the radiation from the CT and a nephrotoxic contrast dye. So I opted for an ultrasound of the kidneys and bladder along with a cystoscopy. The ultrasound found no problems. Now the urologist is insisting I have a CT scan before she will do the cystoscopy because the ultrasound could miss small tumors, etc. I am 54 years old. I have no history of kidney disease or kidney stones. I have no medical problems at all. So what would you recommend in this situation? Should I have a CT and cysto just to be sure? Should I be satisfied with the ultrasound results? Should I just wait to see if it ever happens again? Any advice would be appreciated. We gave him the following response, because this is the sort of thing that we see all the time. 
So, you're fifty-five years old. Do you believe it is time to let them begin irradiating you for problems that resolve themselves? It sounds like you already know the answer, but you are being terrorized by your doctor. We will bet that they have you thinking that since you're fifty-five, it is time for you to fall apart at any time. It's time for them to cash in. We're also betting that you are financially secure with good health insurance. We see the patterns after a while. A doctor is like a mechanic. Given enough time, he will find a problem and fix it. Then other problems start showing up. It's funny how that works. In all likelihood, your problem is a blood vessel which leaked blood into your bladder or kidneys. If we were playing doctor, we would be more wisely looking for the cause, and more specifically, why there was arterial damage. It could have simply been a fall or physical shock wave, or even straining enough somehow. It could be a warning sign that kidney stones are developing, or that there was an infection. Again, if we were hypothetically playing doctor with you, then we would tell you, as our patient, to reference our articles on kidney stones, body pH, or alkalinity, or our heart disease article to learn about reversing arterial damage. We would never, in our wildest dreams, pull the cancer terrorism thing on you. That whole ethics thing just gets in the way sometimes. We think it is time to dump the doctor, because he bypassed all the likely causes and jumped into terrorism. He probably works at a hospital that is encouraging doctors to use the expensive equipment. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth, Sarah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. It reminds you of the Will K show, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Sarah, it's been a really good show. So I'm a firm believer of quitting while we're ahead. <laughs> Let's finish this up and get a show out for the most part because we've had a few people screaming at us about us not doing a show, you know, calling us lazy and it's all your fault. good for nothing and all that stuff because we're not putting out audio shows anymore. So we need to get this out and prove them wrong. Before we go, though, there's a topic I want to mention that I think we've mentioned in passing before. And that topic is help my friend. We get the help my friend or relative messages all the time. They usually go something like this. Hi, this is Jane. I've got this son, nephew, cousin, friend, somebody named Joe. Joe's a great guy. He's been involved in the church and... He's done lots of great stuff, has a family, but Joe's in big trouble now. He has disease X, and we all know what that means. More often than not, it's something like cancer. Cancer is disease X in these cases most of the time. And you've got to help Joe. I've tried to help Joe. Joe doesn't listen to me. So what do I do, and what can you do? Yeah. These messages are some of the saddest ones because the answer is virtually always the same. The answer is, is Joe can't be helped until Joe wants to be helped. Yeah, you just can't help someone who doesn't want the help. But... Or doesn't believe you. Yeah. We may have done a good job of evangelizing to you, explaining things to you, helping you, saving your life, your families, who, who knows. And, but then there are other people out there who don't believe anything, that they're brainwashed by the media, by what the system has taught them all the way from grade school through doctorates and college in many cases. It's hard. It's, it's kind of like the Matrix. If somebody hasn't been able to draw enough connections, do enough research on his own to, to see how much we're being lied to, how much history has been 
fabricated. Yeah, and it's especially hard when that person already has the diagnosis. When he has something like cancer, and the doctor is already telling him he has only a certain amount of time mm -hmm. to live, he has his death sentence. Yeah, once they drop that terror bomb, it's over. They're not going to listen to anything. And they know that. So they pull that on all the big diseases, the big money makers. It's, you're going to die if you don't obey. In fact, you'll die soon. As soon as you say that to a person, he locks up, he freezes up, he stops thinking for himself. He's driven by fear. They know this. That's not medicine. That's psychology and a very malicious, vindictive, sick, twisted, sinister type. I can't even think of enough, mm -hmm. you know, descriptive words for it here. And it's all so intentional. Yeah. The last thing they want, and I'm going to tell you, they work like a religion. The science of medicine isn't a science, it's a religion. Because if you start scientifically analyzing it, it falls apart into a million pieces. There's no science there. It's a religion. A religion that cannot be questioned. And the reason why they drop these terror bombs on these patients with the big diseases is because they don't want to lose these. That's like cancer, that's a field goal. That's a field goal. They don't want to lose that. That's seven points. It's okay to lose scabies. Mm -hmm. It's okay to lose a couple of chicken pox cases to the alternative people. But not cancer. Cancer is a huge money no, maker. Not diabetes. Mm -hmm. Not heart disease. No. So these cash cows, that's where they really lay on the terrorism and do everything they can to steer this person away from alternative medicine. And I'm going to tell you, I know this for a fact. When they give these diagnoses to patients, these terrorizing death sentence diagnoses, like you're going to die. But there's a chance if you obey. Before they even left that first visit, in some cases the doctor actually tells them, don't even think about an alternative. Don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. it it's like, don't you commit that blasphemy. <laughs> exactly like or, that. Or you will be excommunicated into cancer oblivion or whatever. Yep. And they play it like that. So... All of you out there who have Cousin Joe, we're sorry. It's like this. If you can't reach Cousin Joe, we don't have a chance. Yeah. We don't. We'd like to help you. We'd like to help Joe. But we can't. It really boils down to a matter of faith. If their faith is misplaced enough, mm -hmm. nothing we can Joe do. is doomed. And we tried lots of times in the first few years, mm -hmm. you know, but we had the same result every time. These people won't listen. It doesn't make mm. any difference if we call makes Heck, we have less say in your relatives than you yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, and we can't say we've been doing this for eight years. We can't say we've got a website. We've got this book out. We've produced this video, this exit. It doesn't matter. No. Nope. It doesn't matter. We're outsiders. We're like, we're the Protestants. And Joe is at risk of excommunication if he doesn't follow his priest. Yeah. It's, it's really sad. It really is, but <laughs> nothing we can do. There's nothing. Also, um, before we go, I want to mention something. And this is just the way it works. We have two types of main media. Of course, we've got our book. But we've got our website, which has been up for nearly a decade now, with lots of material. But we also have these audio shows. 
And I'm going to tell you, if you guys really want to be health-wise, if you want to get to know the full story, you need both. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on a show before, but we try to craft our audio shows to only present material that we haven't written about. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're just reading the site, you're missing a lot of good stuff. And if you're just listening to our shows, you're missing a lot of good stuff. To us as people, it would be really boring to cover exactly the same thing on both. Mm-hmm. And boring to a lot of our readers, we, too. Generally, we, we try to write up the stuff that has to be written up. Mm-hmm. The, the stuff that people are looking up that they're going to be in trouble they don't know about. For the show, we try to pick topics that are more interesting to talk about. Yeah. There is some overlap there. I'm not going to mention any names, but we have one friend of ours who wrote a message recently to us and saying, please, please, Sarah, make us a show. It's been so long. So here we have the proof that that actually works. <laughs> okay. Getting me to do a show is not a problem. I mean, I have no problem getting up here and running my mouth. That's not my thing. But Sarah, on the other hand, I have to, like, drag her, sometimes handcuffed, <laughs> in front of the mic. So if if you like listening to us, uh, send us a message or actually, send Sarah a message. The mic well, makes me nervous. Send Sarah a message <laughs> saying, I love your shows. Please give us more, Sarah, please. And you'll get more because she doesn't listen to me. Okay, I tell her, people like our shows. Come on, Sarah. And and she's like, no. And I'm like, yes, Sarah, come on. It's no. not quite like that. It's kind of like that. It's not. I've had to like cut her food off for this show. Told her, <laughs> if she wants to eat again... She's doing an audio show, <laughs> right. and that made her that made her well a believer. <laughs> so now we're doing one, but of course that message helped a lot too. So send us messages. Yeah, and if you need to contact us and reach out, uh, we do answer the phone. We answer our emails. We'll be here as well, always, most of the time. Most of the time, we get those few that we don't answer for, don't we? <laughs> uh, you know the ones. Yeah, but uh, for most people, we do answer, and we're really nice actually in person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Sarah, let's wrap it up. All right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Mm-hmm. This is Thomas signing off. And this is Sarah. Bye-bye. Toodaloo.